Hi everyone, this is Jim and I want to give a quick disclaimer about this episode. This show was recorded before the CBA was agreed upon, but the good news is baseball is back. So please enjoy the smooth sounds of our guest, the radio voice of your world champion Atlanta Braves, Ben Ingram. He'll score standing into the end zone. He took a big leap, and Atlanta has grabbed the lead. To the 10, to the 5, and he's into the checkerboard. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very special Shoot Your Shot edition of the Sports Porch, as we have a very special guest on that... We think you guys might recognize the voice of. Uh, before we spoil that surprise, though, it is Clark, Jim, and Rico back for another edition powered by SportstalkATL.com. Before we get to all that, you know we got to go off the porch. This is where we always give you a few pop culture stories and sometimes sports ones that made the headlines over the last week or so. We're open for business and we want to help you promote your brand. So hit us up on Twitter at SportsPorchCast or email us SportsPorchATL at gmail.com. For all the deets, you know what? You know we're gonna just go one story here because our guest is absolutely incredible. So, not gonna waste any time, but I do want to get this out there, Jim. You know, I uh, I haven't seen the movie yet, but it's been blowing up my timeline, and it's going back and forth on opinions of the Batman. And you know, this is kind of a shout out to our boy Spencer in the Great Northwest, Spencer uh, Toyson. Um, but you know. He's like, he's always saying like, oh, I love this. Oh, I hate it. I don't know. I don't know. And I saw your opinions. It needs an edit. But there's a, there's a lot of uh, back and forth. And I feel like it's such a hot topic. Should I try to get to a theater or should I wait and see it on HBO Max in like a month and a half? Uh, yeah, HBO Max should have it, if my math is correct, mid-April. So tax week. I don't know if that's any uh, sort of uh, omen or whatever. <laughs> but do, do you guys legitimately care about spoilers right now? I don't because I have a terrible memory. So you can spoil anything for me, and I and won't remember. If you remember think Rico's it. memory's bad, <laughs> wait till you creep inside between my ears. I won't remember what we did today. Okay. <laughs> so um, I will say it did need an edit. I there are parts about it I liked. Um, this this is a detective uh, detective version of Batman that we haven't seen in a while. In fact, there are parts of it where it kind of reminds me of of the Arkham games, which I'm like, okay, that's really cool. There is another part about this movie that I I think some people might think is very controversial, but there is an entire character. Their storyline, everything about them that was not needed, in my opinion. I have no issue with with the actor. I have no no uh, no issue with the performance, the look, the chemistry with the other actors. I have no issue with that at all. I just don't think this character was completely. Uh, I don't think this uh, this character was needed, and that character is Selena Kyle. Ah, Catwoman. Okay. It was yeah. Was it too soon to bring in? Since this is a new iteration, a new Batman, you know, um, was it too soon to bring in a 
a side character and not just have Batman versus a villain. Is that what you're trying to say? Or are you trying to say that it's just too much? It's like trying to pack it all in. I don't think it was too much. I just don't think the parts that she played and her storyline really was necessary. Like there are things you could have done and to to not replace her with, but you know, okay, for okay, here's 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 a bit of a spoiler. Uh, Batman's like, hey, I need you to infiltrate this place, and you know, get some get some information from from this uh, government official. I'm like, and you know, I'm like, okay, fine, but in my opinion, you probably could have used one of Gotham's good cops. I know there are very few, but you probably could could have used uh, that as an avenue to get the information. I just because when this movie is almost three hours long. There is definitely a two-hour, 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 fifteen-minute version of this film, but I think you only get that if you remove her, and may and maybe Penguin. Oh, there is some Penguin action in here. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was uh, it was literally just going to be uh, Riddler. Okay. Paul Dano as Riddler, he was great. Um, you know, and going, I, I still just want to re- reiterate, I did like Zoe Kravitz when she was cast. What she did was great. I just think there's a two. I just think there's a shorter movie in there, and unfortunately, I think if you took her out, I don't think you really get that much of a different film. So really, what they could have done is, if they were going to have the extra characters, then you need to. If you're going to have a three-hour film, you need to flesh out those characters and not just um, have them there just for the sake of having them. A little bit, and the pacing was weird. Like the first. 45 minutes to an hour like it was it was moving like pretty well I'm like okay cool you know a lot of the detective stuff was coming in and then the middle is when it started to drag and I'm like okay you're 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 taking too long to get where I, I see where you're going um the third the third act I thought was I thought was good I thought I thought it was fine I I liked what they did especially with the Riddler all that um but yeah I that's just my only real issue with the film everything else was, the score was great everything else was fine that's just my quick uh, my quick review of uh, of the movie. I do want to see what the sequel will be because I think the sequel. I think this. I think I'm more interested in the sequel than this than this than this film. Okay, well that means they got you hooked, so they did their job. Right, you're right. They 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 absolutely did the job. It doesn't take much though. <laughs> you're also not wrong there. Because we all watched Batman versus Superman and all that shit, so you know it doesn't take much. But I feel what you're saying, Jim. I mean, and also, <clears throat> excuse me, all the reports prior to the release of the movie were about how long it was and stuff like that. So it doesn't surprise me that there's some slow pieces to this that yeah. seemingly could have been just a cameo versus uh, try and minimally develop the character as well. So I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and you know, it's it's just weird because, you know, if even and even if you were to cut I still think some things could have cut some sequences could have been cut and kept Catwoman, but, you know, just based on what I saw, I was like, okay, that could have I, I at one point I looked at I looked at my, my, my watch or something like that, like it just automatically lit up and I saw it. I was like, oh my God, we still have this much longer to go it's like okay (laughs) yeah and you know what to wrap up this part of the conversation because i know we got to get to our guest i will say that does make me lean towards the side of um waiting to 
waiting until HBO Max so I can watch this at home and I can pause, go to the restroom, or if I go to sleep, if I pass out on the couch, then I can just pick it up again the next day. Because three hours in a theater is a really long time if you don't have a bathroom break. <laughs> That's your old man comment of the day. Old man comment, and because I don't like to go to a movie without having at least a beer or two. Come on. That's BS. Crickets for alcoholism. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> All right, so we want to go ahead and welcome in the special guest we teased at the top of the show. It is none other than the radio voice of the Atlanta Braves and hopefully future voice of MLB The Show, Ben Ingram. Follow him on Twitter, at Ingram Radio. Ben, thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, how are you doing today, and how are you surviving after Wednesday night's news about canceling more games? Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me, fellas. Good to, to hang out with you guys today. And uh, everything's going well, I guess, as well as can be expected. Just kind of hanging out and waiting. This is all really tested our patience out, this whole lockout and everything. Um, so just kind of playing it day by day and being on Twitter way more than I want to, just to follow up on all the updates and all that's, uh, and all those things. So um i think today is is a day where it seems like they're making some progress so that's good but we just wait in the meantime and once they tell us we can go down to florida and get going and we know what the schedule is we'll be ready to pack a bag and head down yeah uh, you mentioned they seem to be making some progress today i believe uh as of this afternoon and and as of this recording the international pool uh i guess hang-ups have somewhat been uh, not solidified, but seem to be kicked down the road where both sides have agreed to it. Um, I mean, I think all I think the three of us were pro player in this argument. But what do you think it's going to take to get a deal done? That's a really good question. I was very frustrated with the news that happened yesterday that came down with this international draft because to me it just didn't make any sense. And that's easy for me to say. I don't have a seat at the table when it comes to the negotiations. I'm not part of the players association uh, and their union. I'm not an owner. Um, so a lot of this is just really frustrating news to me because the way that I see it, this should be a lot easier to figure out than it is. My frustrations really go back into December when you, when you had about a six or seven week period where there was no progress because there wasn't any communication. There were no meetings. I don't understand why this could not have been done in December and January. I'm sure the, the, they have their reasons, but whatever those reasons are, I'm not a big fan of whatever those reasons are. Uh, the international draft and all that news that came up yesterday makes no sense to me because you're talking about this not coming into effect until 2024. So why does that prevent us from playing baseball in 2022? That part I'll never understand. Whether you like it or you don't, whether you're on the player side or the owner side, if we're talking about something that is not going to come into play for another two years, I have no idea why that prevents us from making progress right now. Um, I, I just hope that they can find a way to get the, a deal done. I think that when it comes to the monetary figures on all this and um, uh, the, the, these two sides trying to find mutual ground, it seems like the figures are very, very close. Therefore, I would assume that they'd be close to getting a deal done. Um, that's the most encouraging thing to me. I just know that once they come up with exactly what they want to do, they're going to go back and forth and, and, and go over this entire thing top to bottom a few more times. And I just hope that they can do that quickly and, and find common ground. Um, because I really think when you're focused in on just those problems, and this might be easy for me to say, but if you're on the player's side or the owner's side, 
if you're focusing strictly on what is best for you, you're, you're really missing the entire big picture. I think whatever is best for the individuals, whatever is best for the players, the owners, that's all fine and dandy. But these guys have a responsibility to do what is in the best interest of the game. To me, that translates to what is in the best interest of the fan. The fan is the biggest element of the game, in my opinion. And the fan doesn't have a seat at the negotiating table when it comes to these, uh, these negotiations back and forth. So if I'm on either side, I'm doing my best to challenge myself to, yes, let's get what, what needs to be done done, and let's take care of the business side of things. But we have a responsibility here. We have a great responsibility to preserve this game, to take care of the game, to look into the best interest of the game, and furthermore, what's in the best interest of the fan. I think that should come before any interest that they might have of their own. And, and I think that they lose sight of that time to time, and I, I can understand that um, to a degree. But I, I think that's a responsibility that has to be forefront on everyone's mind. And if you can do that, it seems like you'd be able to come to a conclusion uh, a, a lot quicker than this. I know that doesn't necessarily answer your question. I, I don't know exactly what has to be done in order to make this deal happen. It seems like technically they've gotten very close. Now it's just a matter of the two sides saying, okay, we, we've got to have baseball. And, and going another week or, or, or canceling more games, that is detrimental to our sport, and it is strictly in our hands to preserve and protect this game. And the way you do that is by playing games right now. Uh, ben, you know, you, we are, we're huge, like, uh, superhero comic book video game nerds on this show. And, uh, you just gave the uncle Ben with great power comes a great responsibility speech. I felt like I was like, <laughs> man, I'm inspired. I'm like, I mean, am I Spider-Man right now? Like, should we, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you, you, you make a really great point and I wanted to follow up on it, uh, in the aspect that one of the things I keep seeing, you know, as like you said, we spent way too much time on Twitter recently because we're not following actual games. But I see people say, well, Manfred canceled, you know, this series and this series and this series. But there's also the opportunity to maybe, you know, get a full 162 in or maybe get 154 in. So, you know, is there a way that you think maybe they'll say, well, we've delayed it so much that maybe we could squeeze in some seven eight double headers kind of like they did during the you know pandemic year um would that be uh, an option yeah, to get more games in i think that is very much in play i think the players would like to do that because you know let's get down to the business side of this if, if there are games canceled th those are games that the players not going to be compensated for uh so if it means having a couple of double headers in june july and august like we did a, a couple of years ago or, or last year when it comes to some of the teams that had to have games canceled due to or at least postponed due to COVID, um I, I think they would happily do that if they can find a way to do 162 i think that would be in everyone's best interest and, and speaking from someone who does this for their career and, and speaking for so many others who do that as well um, especially for, for people working for rights holders, people with, with working for flagships, uh, radio station flagships of these teams or um, some of the television networks for these teams. They're, they're working on a, a per-game rate and dropping to 154 games or 140 games. That's money out of a lot of people's pockets. You can take that all the way down to game day employees. Uh, people who are using working at the stadium as a, as a side gig. I mean, if, they're, if you're not playing a full 81 game home slate, that's money out of their pocket as well. So I think it's in the best interest of everyone to find a way to play 162. And if that means loading up with a few more double headers, I wasn't completely against the seven inning double header. I, I know that as 
Um, some purists might go or some traditionalists might go. They might not like that. In, in a lot of regards, I find myself agreeing with the purists and agreeing with the traditionalists. However, if it means playing a few seven-inning doubleheaders and getting 162 in over playing 154, 150, 148, whatever that number might be, I, I'm all for playing those doubleheaders and making sure we get a full season in and, and keeping the integrity of 162 as much as we can. You're listening to Sports Ports, powered by SportsTalkATL.com. We have uh, with us Ben Ingram. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Ingram Radio, as we've said before. Ben, sticking with uh, what you're talking about with 162, I wanted to bring up uh, a key point to the Braves once we do finally get into uh, full-on baseball. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mike Soroka, uh, both um, coming off rehab years. Ronald Acuna, most importantly, um, his 22-year-old year, uh, COVID, last year injury, this year um, lockout setbacks, which is potentially removing some game checks, as you mentioned, plus just more opportunity for him to evolve as a player. And then you have Mike Soroka that's dealt with nothing but setbacks seemingly since he decided to you know, move from hockey to baseball. So I guess I just want to know what your thoughts are on those guys and if you've heard anything through the grapevine about you know, how they're looking and, and, you know, what we can expect as fans. Uh, well, the best info you can get on Ronald is directly from Ronald himself. And I'm sure you guys do. If, if for your listeners, if you follow Ronald on social media, it seems like every day he's going with Instagram lives or live videos of himself putting in work, doing work in the cage. And I'll be honest it, it really with you, you gotta, up. you gotta listen to that pop from time to time, just to remind you how exactly. close baseball is. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really good pop. I mean, that, that guy can swing it. And watching the videos and all that, it really backs up what some of the guys from the strength and conditioning department told me about Ronald during the offseason and in the postseason last year. I had a really good conversation. When we were in L.A. last year for the championship series, uh, I was talking with uh, one of our guys from our strength and conditioning team, and he told me that those two guys, Soroka and, and Acuna, are two very, very different situations. For Acuna, their biggest concern was that he would try to do too much too soon. You're talking about a guy who's 24 years old, just turned 24, um, just an amazing talent, uh, an amazing athlete, and they just felt like, look, this this guy's going to zoom right on through whatever we put in front of him, any kind of rehab. He's going to do everything he can to get back out there, and then some. Uh, they they know how aggressive he can he can be, and his personality personality really reflects the way that he plays. I think we watch him so aggressive on the field. That's who he is in general. That's his personality in general. Um, so they knew that when it came to rehabbing him and getting that knee back, he was going to be going 110 miles an hour all the time and doing everything he could to get back as soon as possible. So they just wanted to make sure that he didn't rush and, and get back too quick or think he could do more than he could do. I don't think anyone is, is remotely concerned about Ronald Acuna. And if there's a positive to any of this lockout situation is that you don't have to worry about rushing him back to get him in for opening day. I mean, if you end up playing April 14th, April 10th, or whatever it might be for opening day, then I'd say he'd probably be pretty close. I don't know if he'd be there in the opening day lineup, uh, but he'd be really, really, really close. And I'd expect him at some point, April, early May, that we'd see him and, and hopefully we'd see him for the entire season. Mike, on the other hand, is a different story because it's such an unknown. With Ronald, it's uh, we've seen players come back from uh, that knee injury dozens and dozens and dozens of times. With the injury that Mike has, this is so 
strictly unique. You don't see many guys with this injury where you have uh, two ruptures uh, of that Achilles. Um, it, it, it doesn't look good when you look at the numbers of guys who have had multiple injuries to, to that same, uh, or have had that same injury twice. But um, I think those guys in the strength and conditioning department would tell you, and I'd back this up with what I've witnessed out of Mike himself, it's, it's the la- he's the last guy I'd bet against. And, and I'm not just saying that. I know it could be cliche. That guy works harder um, than just about anybody else out there. He has a desire to not only be in the big leagues, he has a desire to be the best. And I, I think that a lot of players would say, well, yeah, I want to be the best. But there's a difference in saying that and, there's, and, and, and actually acting upon it. He and, and Max are two young guys that I watch, hear some of their conversations, hear the way that they approach the game, see the way they approach the game. And just being on a rotation in the big league isn't enough. These guys are absolutely obsessed with being the best. And, and, and I, I love that. I find that so refreshing in 2022 where it's not enough to say, okay, I'm, I'm in the big leagues and, and that's good. And whatever happens, happens. These guys are obsessed with being the best pitcher in major league baseball. And I think that drive along with the fact that, that Mike physically is, is as gifted as anyone I've ever seen uh, and, and is so young. I mean, he's only 24 years old. Um, I think he has so many things working in his favor to where if you did see him at some point this season and he was consistently giving you innings at any point in the season and having success, that wouldn't surprise me. And I know it'll be a great story. It'll be a humongous comeback for for anybody who were to go through what he's going through. Um, But I got to be honest, it wouldn't shock me at all because I think that's just what I expect out of Mike Soroka. And that's how gifted I think he is physically. And I'm, I'm as big a fan as what he is mentally. Uh, you know, Ben, I wanted to kind of mention, uh, follow up on you saying you're not going to bet against Mike and, you know, he's not only just a tough kid and he's obviously extremely talented, but there's something I wanted to, you know, as a deep cut for our fans who listen to the show all the time, there's something we call the Dwayne Wade effect, um, that Clark kind of brought to our attention that he didn't realize that like, you know, sometimes these freak athletes are really huge. He had no idea that Mike Soroka is like six, five, two thirty. <laughs> he's, a he's a big he's a big strong kid so yeah there's no doubt that he's going to you know hopefully be able to come back from this full strength in general Rico, um, you have to explain the Dwayne Wade effect <laughs> better than that you can't just toss it to him. he's like what the hell is he talking about listen all right here's the thing Dwayne Wade you can insert Allen Iverson Steph Curry whoever the guy's six four I had no idea he was that tall until I saw him in person it's like oh my god this dude could eat me alive and all those other people make him look small, so that's what he's talking about. <laughs> well, there, there, I remember, I remember when they drafted Mike, and um, you know, I didn't know much about him at the time, and I, I want to say that the Braves drafted him with the with the compens uh, the uh, compensatory pick they got from the Twins, if I'm not mistaken, for Edgar Santana. And when they when they made the draft pick, there's some people thinking, well, why didn't they go get a bat? Why another pitcher? And somebody showed me a picture of Mike. This is really kind of creepy that I'd say this, but somebody showed me a picture. I don't know if this was on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but it was a Halloween. It was at a Halloween party, it looked like, or something where it, it, it required him to be in a costume. And if I'm not mistaken, he was this lumberjack character, but, but he had on extremely short shorts. 
the reason the picture was going around is somebody said, look at the legs on this guy that we just drafted. And I looked and I'm like, this guy is 18 years old. And I mean, he looked like a, a bodybuilder um, in, this, in this photograph. And at that point, I thought, well, th- this guy's going to be pretty good. Because this, this guy's be like no post- 18-year-old I've ever seen. That's going to be the picture we post under this when we uh, post this live on Twitter. Because <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what you're talking you'll, you'll about. Have, yeah, you'll have no problem finding it. Yeah, what a buster. Um, it, it, yeah, that was the crappy way of explaining the Dwayne Wade effect and how, yeah, some of these guys are absolute physical monsters. Um, we do have a, a couple uh, fan questions we wanted to sprinkle in uh, as we went through this interview. And this one is from our buddy Richie. And he wants to know, uh, you know, does this lockout have any effect on, you know, the elephant in the room? Does it bring Freddie closer or push him farther away from, you know, staying a brave? I, I wish I knew the effect that had on him. Um, you, you know, the, the, the thing that, that takes place is all of these teams, you know, obviously they can't have any communication with any of these players. Uh, once this lockout is lifted, and I'm really excited for this, you're going to see a, a, a 48-hour free agency bonanza take place. I mean, this thing's going to be moving like we've never seen because they're in such a hurry. Once we figure out that the lockout is lifted and, and, and that news is broken, the next question is, okay, what does that mean for scheduling? When are we going to spring training? When is opening day? Whatever those answers are, it's going to be really, really soon. Therefore, all these free agents, and I want to say there's, I think, 80-something free agents out there that could land with teams, and that, that's going to be wild. Uh, so I don't know what that means for these for these free agents. I'm, I'm sure that Freddie has had plenty of opportunities to think of every possible scenario. He knows the teams that are going to be coming after him, making him offers. Um, and I don't think it's going to be you know you're not going to have 30 teams throwing offers at Freddie Freeman. But I think there are a, a there's a strong chance you're going to have half a dozen or so teams that can get close to the demands that we feel like he has. And, and if that rumor is true about it being a sixth year, that seems to be the holdup. Look, he's going to get what he wants from someone. I don't think there's any doubt about that. To me, Freddie is uh, Freddie has all the leverage when it comes to his free agency. He just won an MVP two years ago. He just won uh, a World Series last year. And in my opinion, he's everything you want your franchise player to be. Name me one thing that that guy does that would go against that narrative. I, I think he is – if you could – in, in, in a lab, if you could design the perfect uh, foundation player for your franchise, it'd be Freddie. Um, the guy does everything great. You want him in your clubhouse. He's an exceptional talent. He hits well. Defensively, he's as good as anyone. He wants to win more than anything. He's not a me guy. Um, I, I think he's matured a lot. He's benefited a ton from having good clubhouse guys around him his entire career from uh, Chipper to Eric Kinski to Tim Hudson to Nick Markakis and others. Uh, he's exactly what you want as your foundation player in the big league. So um, if it's me, if I'm a GM and I have the clearance from my ownership to throw a sixth year at him, I'm doing it. I'm pulling the trigger. I think it means a lot to have that guy in your uniform. I think it means a ton for the Braves to have him in your uniform for his entire career. Um, that's, that's so valuable in my opinion. So, uh, to answer your question, I, I think that both sides have had an opportunity to really think about everything. Freddie knows all, what, what teams are going to be throwing offers at him. And on the other side of the fence, I think all these teams have their plan in place. The Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Angels, obviously the Braves. 
they have plan A, B, C, and D lined up where they can throw it at Freddie as soon as the lockout is lifted. And it's really going to be uh, about Freddie deciding what he wants to do because I whether it, it be in Atlanta or somewhere else, I think eventually he'll get the number of years he's looking for. I think that at the very last second, I think the Braves would go to a sixth year. I don't have anything to back that up. Um, but I do feel like in my heart of hearts, they'd say, okay, here's what we're going to offer. And at that point, it's going to be in Freddie's lap to, to choose here or elsewhere for the rest of his career. So um, people that I have spoken with who are a lot closer to Freddie than I am maintain, they feel like he will remain a brave. And and to me, that, that means a lot. If that ends up not being the case, then we'll all be wrong on that. But um, I hope it ends up being a case where he's back here and he plays his, his entire career as an Atlanta brave. I guess uh, my only follow-up to that could be, you know, like you talk, like we kind of hit on there. Uh, you drafted a Brave out of Southern California as a, a high school player through the minors. He's been through the rebuild. He's now been through, you know, the good, the great years, and now finally a champion. You know, quick answer there. I mean, he's a Braves Hall of Famer, no doubt. Whenever he's done, even if it's not here. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I, I look at the the line there of, of of franchise players that this organization has had. I mean, you, you go to Chipper right before Freddie. I mean, those two careers bled into each other right before Chipper. I know that uh, that Murph ended up going to Colorado and Philadelphia, but he was a Brave for the longest time, and he was a generational player. Hank was a generational player. I'm mean, a multi generational player. I, I think having guys that spend the bulk of their career or, or, or their entire career in your uniform is such a valuable thing for your fan base. And, and Freddie's that guy right now. Uh, when he was drafted and when he was a big prospect and he was on his way up, he, he, was, he, he wasn't the top guy. It was Jason. Everybody was talking about Jason Hayward. Um, and then Freddie gets to the big leagues and things just take off from there. Um, and it ends up being Freddie who's the guy. So I think it does mean a lot to him to have – an entire career in one uniform. I think in 2022, those guys are few and far between. You don't get to see those guys much anymore. And I, I love guys who spend an entire career um, with one team. I think there's so much value to that. I think about Cal Ripken or Derek Jeter or Chipper Jones and others. And if Freddie could be that guy for the Atlanta Braves, that would be enormous. And I just, I really hope that that ends up uh, being the case, because if he's not here in 2022 and beyond, they could still be a really good baseball team. But I'll be honest, it's going to be very bizarre going into that clubhouse, being on the team charter, being around the team. And number five's not there because he's been a rock for this franchise for, for over a decade. Yeah, his influence is definitely seen and felt from a fan perspective. I'm sure it's even more so for you guys, you know, dealing with clubhouses and things like that. So that would be interesting to see how that goes. We have another question here from a different fan of ours, uh, Eric Wilson. Um, and he sort of thinks like we do on this show, you know, double A's sort of like a sly fox. No one ever knows what he's doing and it's been great, but we also seem to question him until the last minute when he makes a deal like he did for Rosario and Solaire. Um, is this the best advantage we have for building another team to make another run at going back to back? Uh, to, to resign Freddie. Uh, sorry, double A being sly like a fox. Is that our best oh, advantage to build another? Yeah, sorry. I, I see. Um, a little bit of a Domino question I, I, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used. I'm used to those. Hello. Um, I, I think that when it comes to um, 
Look, I, it, I, there have been plenty of times where Alex has kind of laid in the weeds, and it's been easy to question him and wonder, okay, what's happening here? Why this move? Why not that move? And I keep going back to something that uh, I, I've, been, I've reminded myself over the last several years, and that's the scoreboard. I, I think that has to be the ultimate indicator of, of how you judge Alex Anthopoulos, and the scoreboard reads four division titles and a World Series championship. So regardless of the route he took to to achieve those things, what matters is the destination and what he's accomplished. And you can't argue with those results. Um, I know that when it comes to re-signing free agents, it it gets tricky because it's not just – I think people make this this, uh, mistake. It's a misconception that if you – let's use Freddie, for instance. Uh, We all thought that Freddie would be re-signed last offseason. Uh, going into the 2021 season. That didn't happen. Went into spring training, thought, okay, maybe this takes place here in Florida. Didn't happen. Obviously, didn't happen during the season. Still hasn't happened. And I think people uh, would say to themselves, oh, why hasn't Alex made this move yet? Well, it's not all on Alex Anthopoulos to make that move. He can only offer Freddie what uh, ownership has has granted him to offer. Uh, This isn't as simple as Alex saying, here's the keys to, to whatever you want. Do you want to sign here or not? It's not that simple. Um, I, I think there are certain uh, places where he's regulated by by his bosses, by ownership, and others to offer what they can and, and whatever they can't. That that's off the table. As much as he might want to offer Freddie Freeman six years on 180 million, that's not all his call. Uh, but getting back to your question, I think the way that he operates, the way that that he maneuvers through free agency, through the trade deadline, through whatever it may be, you can't argue with the results. Um, There was a time where Alex was a little more vocal with us in the media. And and I think that I'm I'm bringing this up because I think it's a good thing. You might remember a few years ago when there was, uh, he got into a little bit of trouble with the league and there was talks of tampering with players or whatever that was. He went tight as a vault uh, from there on out. And I thought that, to me, I thought that was a really good thing. I, I love that in the media, you could have a general manager who has open communication and you trust them and they trust you and you can get some nuggets here and there. But oftentimes that might not be what's in the best interest of the team. And I, even though I might want to know some information about a player, about a move, about a potential guy that you might sign, it might not be in the best interest of the organization for me or any other media member to know that. And, and I love how sometimes moves will take place with Alex where it's a move that no one had, no one saw it on the radar. You knew that there might be a need for, let's say a, a, a left-handed reliever out of the bullpen. And you're looking at other guys that you might make a trade for coming up on the deadline. And that doesn't happen. But another guy that no one saw coming ends up being the guy that he makes a move for that move pays off. I like that. Um, I, I think that's that's very savvy uh, GM practice uh, for, for by Alex, and I think that goes a long way. So he has definitely earned respect. He's definitely earned trust, and that's simply because of what he's accomplished. And I don't think there's a bigger accomplishment than what he was able to do at the trade deadline last year and what that led to. It's, it's hard enough to go and make four or five moves at the trade deadline in, in any season, but to have those moves take place and then they all – turn into what they turned into that's darn near impossible to accomplish and he did that and turned out to be uh, a, a final two months and a postseason run that none of us saw coming yeah I mean I think I totally agree with what you're saying there and the sentiment and kind of speaking a little bit piggybacking off of what you said about the complexities of being a GM I think um, a lot 
a lot of credit needs to probably go to Snitker for being someone that Double A can rely on as the backbone of the organization um, from a manager perspective. And then also, you know, where he gets a lot of his building blocks of how he manages from guys like Bobby Cox and people that he came up through this organization with over his 43 or so years um, with the Braves. I, I think uh, some tribute should be paid to him in his ability to uh, shift focus and chain, make changes after a change has been made. For instance, um, you know, putting Tucker Davidson in as a starter in the middle of what was a hellish run through the playoffs this year in the postseason? Um, it, it was a lot of people kind of scratched their head about it. He and started all game of a sudden, four. I was there. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, he was like, "Okay, that didn't necessarily work the way we wanted it to." And boom, Kyle Wright out of nowhere, like a time bomb, just right when we needed him. Or like how Mentor just decides to turn it up in a postseason. Or Will Smith, a completely different person from September to October. I, I just feel like. Maybe it starts with double A, like you were saying, and the complexity of the organization, but it takes so many more people in this organization thinking as one uh, to work. And I, that's part of, for me as a fan, it makes them so easy to re- root for. And I think uh, back to what you said a, a minute ago about Freddie, you know, that would present a different dynamic and it's going to be a change for us as fans. So, you know. Kudos to Double A. Thank you so much for answering that question the way you did because I agree with you. It's so complex. It's not just one person. It takes a village, and uh, I, I love this team so much. Well, and I'll, just to go in on what you're saying about Snit and and everything else, it, it really is amazing how much it actually takes to succeed in in Major League Baseball. And I'm not even talking about winning the World Series, but just to consistently be good, consistently be a contender. Um, witnessing this team win the World Series, that became so apparent to me is how many people it does take. And, it, and it's really staggering. It's it's almost as if, how does anybody actually ever achieve this? Um, if you were to ask Snit about that, he'd give credit to his coaching staff. But I know there's, there's a lot to say about the continuity of, of the coaching staff and the experience that they have. Uh, Walt Weiss and Kevin Seitzer and EY and Wash and uh, Rick Kranitz, um, Sal. I mean, it, it's a long list of guys that, if you notice, I mean, these guys have been together in that coaching staff for years. There hasn't been really any turnover at all in the last several years. Uh, so I think that goes a long way. And, and there's something to say for a manager saying, okay, this is what the general manager has given me. And I know my guys, and I have to trust my guys and know what their limits are and what they can accomplish. Um, and you've got some really tricky decisions to make. I mean, you bring up a good point where you mentioned Tucker Davidson. Let's not forget the Braves won a World Series game that, that Dylan Lee started. If, if you'd asked me who Dylan Lee was this time last year, I said, I have no idea who Dylan Lee is. <laughs> so um, true. So you, you just it, – it, it's – the way that you get there is never the path you think you're going to get there. I never would have guessed that some of the decisions that were made – in the World Series would have ever come about. You mentioned Tucker Davidson and Dylan Lee and, and some other decisions, but that's how hard it is to be a manager in the big leagues and to succeed and find a way, knowing your guys, trusting your guys. Man, that says a lot about a manager and his coaching staff. Ben, you've been very gracious with your time. We only have like a, a literal, just a couple more questions, but you know, literally I wanted to get this one out there because I know we this all started because we – 
said the thing at the beginning about the, uh, you know, we reached out to you on Twitter about being the voice of MLB The Show. And I kind of just wanted to get your, you know, abridged uh, version of how you ended up getting your start, just because obviously the deep voice helps. But like, did you sound like that at 14 and where you're just like, I'm just going to call games forever. Like, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just kind of, it'd be awesome. You know, if that were an option, like one of the cool things I have, you know, I have the, the box set of the Blu-rays from the world series run. Right. So I can use the radio broadcast with the video. Right. So I get to listen uh-huh. to you while I watch replay the games, but I'm like, you know, at some point, maybe they'll make that an option in the game. So hopefully that's cool for you, but yeah, just, could you give us like a quick rundown on like how you actually got into it and, you know, what made you decide like, yes, this is where I should be. Yeah, it was, it was kind of backwards for me. I think a lot of people would say, well, I've got a pretty good voice. Maybe I should try broadcasting. My desire for broadcasting came about long before I knew what my voice was going to sound like. I, I was eight or nine years old when I decided I wanted to be a broadcaster for major league baseball. I was, eight, nine, 10 years old. And I'd sit down in front of the television, mute the TV with a boom box in my lap and hit play and record at the same time. And then record myself on a cassette tape. And I did that over and over and over again. And whether it was a Braves game on TV or a Cubs game on WGN or the ESPN Sunday night game, that's, that's what I was doing and, and listening to myself over and over and over again. So uh, I, I would hear people talk about the odds. I would hear people talking about how, well, there's only 30 of these jobs and you're lucky just to get a minor league job. And, and a, a lot of times that doesn't mean that you're going to even make it to the big leagues. I, I never listened to that. I thought I was the exception and not the rule. And, and maybe that sounds arrogant and conceited. Maybe you have to be a little bit of that in order to ignore some of those things. But I just felt like if I put the work in, then it would pay off. Um, and fortunately it did. And I, I think there's something to say for success coming for people who never quit. And I just, that wasn't an option for me. There really wasn't a plan B. This is what I was going to do. And I was fortunate enough to get a job with an independent baseball team when I was 24 years old, uh, put in a season there, turned that into, um, a, a job with a Padres, a ball team in Oregon, went all the way out to Oregon for a season. And then as fate had it, the double A team for the Braves moved from Greenville, South Carolina to uh, right outside my hometown. I'm from Madison, Mississippi. They moved to Pearl, Mississippi, and I had a connection there. And next thing you know, I was their play-by-play voice doing double A games and uh, was able to network with the guys at the big leagues and let them know here I'm, I'm at double A. And I, if you ever need anything from me, I'd love to be a part of the Braves broadcasting uh, network and, and be a part of, uh, whatever you guys might need me for. So whatever they've asked me to do, I've always done it. And this next season will be my 16th season in the organization. Uh, as I had four in double a, and the next one will be my 12th in the big leagues. And from doing the post game show and then the pregame show and fill in play by play all the way up to the lead chair, uh, all I've ever done is just done the absolute best I can possibly do because I think that our fan base deserves that and this organization deserves that. Um, and, and I've just always been eager for the next opportunity. And um, fortunately, that that hard work paid off, and this is where I want to be. I, I hope I never have another job the rest of my life after this. I, I hope I can do this for decades uh, because, for me, I just wanted to call big league games. But adding that extra layer of it being – the Atlanta Braves, a team I grew up watching. Uh, this is the region of the country that I'm from. It, it takes it to another level of pride for me. So 
Um, that, that's basically the, 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 the cliff notes of how I got from where I used to be to where I am now. And it's been a, a really fun ride in the meantime. Then final fan question. This is a bit of a two-parter. Uh, it's from Justin Beckley, one of our uh, good buddies. At what point did you believe that the Braves could, could win it all? Because obviously when Ronald went down, we all have had that uh, bit of a gut punch feeling. Well, I felt like at spring training, we were at spring training last year, and um, Jay Chad, our producer, asked me one day, this is maybe the second week of spring training, and he said, who's in the World Series this year? I said, us. He's like, really? I said, yeah. And he said, who are we playing? I said, um, I'll take the Yankees. And we're talking about how World Series games at Yankee Stadium would be just epic and that kind of thing. And I said, look, don't, I don't know who we're playing, but don't be surprised if we get in there. I felt like all along that we were going to be a team that really pushed hard, and I thought we could get in there. Once the season started, it, it didn't start well. I mean, you guys remember how it was. I mean, it was hovering around four, uh, around 500 for four months. And, and I still felt like they've got plenty of time to figure this thing out because nobody else in this division is burying the Braves. The, the Mets, the Phillies, the Nats, they, they weren't doing anything to really impress you. So the Braves just hung around in striking distance, and I just felt all along if they can just get some consistency and get this thing going, they'll win this division. And I felt like that all the way up until – the day that Ronald hurt his knee. And when that happened, I just thought to myself, this just isn't happening. I mean, because yeah, that, on paper, they've got a team that I really like, but no one is guaranteed health. Uh, no team, no matter how good they look on paper or what the expectations were going into the season, you can't predict the health of a ball club. And some teams just have lingering health issues that derails a season. And, and if there was ever a season where things weren't going to work out for the Braves, and it'd be acceptable, I think that was going to be last year. If they had not won last year, I think it would have been so easy to say, well, it just wasn't their year. Think of all the, the losses that they had with uh, the injury to, to Charlie Morton, to Travis Darno, to uh, Max Freed, to Ronald Acuna. It, it just it, These are your best players, and I think it would have been completely fine had they not had the season they expected because the injuries were against them. And I remember that day that Ronald hurt his knee. I called my girlfriend after the game. I said, I, I've been pretty optimistic all year, but uh, come October the 4th, that's the first day of the offseason, if you want to go on vacation that day, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be free that day. Um, and I kind of lost hope that day. I, I thought this just isn't happening. Um, and then the trade deadline happened. And, and next thing you know, they, they swept that series in St. Louis – they had, I want to say, a like a 12- or 13-game winning streak on the road or something like that. And all along, the rest of the teams in the division were still just hovering around what they'd been doing all year. And all of a sudden, hope starts building up again. And I know this is a long-winded way of answering your question, but it, it restored my hope within about a span of three weeks. I think they won nine in a row. And the series that really did it for me, there was a three-game series at home against the Giants. Um, they won game one. It was a great game on a Friday night, uh, lost the next day, but game three Sunday, a rubber game, Ian Anderson went out there and just completely shut out the giants. I think they, I think Braves won eight, nothing. And we had a lengthy road trip coming up and we knew that the month of September was going to be tough because it was a really rugged schedule. Phillies had a much easier path in the month of September than the Braves did. Um, but we went to San Francisco, dropped the series there, but played really good baseball 
had a really tough series in San Diego where they found a way to win. Will Smith had a big save on a Sunday, I want to say, in, in a rubber game. And I'm, I remember telling Joe and Jay Chad, I said, look at the teams that they're beating right now and competing with. These are the teams that if you win the division, you're going to see in October. So I, I thought if, if you can get in this thing, then, then you got a shot to, to really shock some teams. Um, I thought that Milwaukee would be a really tough matchup uh, just because of their bullpen. And, and to be quite honest, I think going into that series with, with Milwaukee being the, the home team, I, I thought this was a coin flip of a series, and I, I just thought that the Brewers gave the Braves some some matchup problems. But if, if you recall, uh, right before that series, uh, Devin Williams injured himself, and, and that was a huge part of their bullpen that was that was out. And it's a break that went the Braves' way. Um, and, and once they took off from that series, they never came back down. And I honestly felt like after they beat the Dodgers, not to take anything away from the Astros. It was a really good team, but I thought once they beat L.A., I thought they were winning this thing. Um, to me, L.A. has been the standard. L.A. has been the team to, to beat. If you can get by them, you should be able to get by anybody, and that's exactly what they did. So, to me, the pressure cooker was the NLCS um, and, and winning that series. And just looking back on some of the breaks that went their way and what they were able to do with them, I mean, I mentioned Devin Williams being out in that Brewers series. Uh, the, the the Giants pushed the Dodgers to a fifth game, and that fifth game meant they, the Dodgers had to use some pitchers that uh, weren't going to be available for the beginning of that Braves series. Um, and then the Braves had home build advantage with the Dodgers being a wild card team. So there's just lots of uh, lots of things that went their way that just made it feel different. And I think that uh, once they got going in the month of August, end of August, that's that's really when I felt like they had a shot to to be everything I thought they could be from the beginning of the season. I mean, I think all Braves fans want to know what was it like to call game six and at what point, you know, as the game went along, you're like, this is going to happen. I mean, what did you have something prepared? Can you let yourself you, think about you like what's organic? happening in front of you? Like how is I, I assume being from this area, like you said, and being a fan, it's got to be so difficult to keep that professionalism, but also like enjoy what's happening. Mm hmm. I knew that whatever happened um, was going to be extremely enjoyable, obviously. I, I think, to me, once Freddie hit the home run in game six, and it's 7 to nothing going to the eighth, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, that, that's when it set in. It's like, this this is happening. Whether you like it or not, this, this thing's coming. Um, and See, I Ben, like that's it. where I know you're from Mississippi and not from Atlanta, because I was like, oh, no, the Atlanta's coming out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and that's a good point because we've seen it so many times. Um, but, man, this team just felt so different. I, I felt that once Jorge hit the home run in the third inning, just the sheer ferocity of that home run, it wasn't just hitting a homer and going up 3 nothing. It was what that homer looked like. I mean, that was just a knockout blow. And I didn't think it at the time, but looking back on it, it it's like that game was over right there. I mean, the, the tone was set. Um, I, I never prepared anything. I never, I, I hate scripting radio. I hate scripting calls. I've, I've heard other broadcasters do it. And a lot of times it doesn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. Tom Hart says um, the same thing, just so you know. Yeah. And, and I've seen it, I've heard it and, and I'm not, you know, pointing fingers at, at other broadcasters. I just know that a lot of times that doesn't turn out the way that you want it to. All I could think of from the eighth inning on was be factually accurate, get it right. 
And I, to me, if you can do that, then if you get 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the road, that's going to stand the test of time. Um, I, you know, if you come up with some hokey cheesy line or whatever, I don't know, maybe that sounds stupid down the road when, when you're out of the moment, I just wanted to be factually correct. And I, when, when the moment happened, we went to break. Uh, I think that was our first break of the post game show. And, um, I, I didn't even remember what I said. I had no clue. I was completely clueless. And I just turned around to Jay chat. I said, did we get that? Um, as if to say, you know, was, was everything good? And he's like, thumbs up and, and going back and listening to it. Um, I, what I remembered more than anything outside of the whole thing being over, something happened on that call that, that I never, ever do. Um, and if you go back and listen to the call, there's, there, I have a pretty lengthy audible pause, um, cause the ball goes to Dansby and I say, he, I just kind of held it there for a second. And I, I feel like I, I never, I'm not, I don't ever find myself doing that. And then he throws the first base and gets the out. But what I was doing was it, it's almost like it, it mimicked exactly what was happening on the field. And if you remember it, Dansby looks to second. I thought he was going to second base. I thought yeah, he clutched pause yep. world series and, and Ozzy's not there. And so he, he completely deked me out on the call. Um, uh, I think I said chopper to Dansby and I held a, a he for what, what felt like 10 seconds in my mind. It was probably about a, a second and a half. Um, and then he throws first base and he gets the out. And in our post game show, they ran back the highlight and our guys had edited out the verbal pause. And I said, D- don't, don't do that. Play that. I said, because that exactly mimicked what happened on the field. And I wanted my call to be completely accurate with every single thing that happened on the field. And, um, it was such a blur. It moved so fast. Um, it was such a, it was such a, uh, a load to take off your shoulders to have it over and, and have won the thing because it's such a pressure cooker. Um, night in, night out, wondering if they're going to win this thing or not. And knowing how excited you would be if they won it and how devastated you'd be if they lost. And uh, to, to, to make the final call um, and, and win the thing, it was like no other relief I've ever had in my entire life. And um, I really, really hope I get to do it again one day because it was so much damn fun. And um, I, I think no matter what happens the rest of my life, knowing that I've got that, I mean, it's just, it's amazing thinking back on what that was like and how we all felt and the experience that was and the ride that was, and just being able to play my small, small part in the whole thing is just so humbling to me. And I've never had that much fun in my entire life. So, um, I know that's kind of a a rambling answer to the question, but there are just so many things that go through your mind that it's such a rush and it moves so fast and, you just hope you get an opportunity to do it again one day. Uh, absolutely. I think in the seventh inning, my one of my first thoughts was, okay, I just got to make sure I get uh, Ben's audio to do one of the uh, Braves Titanic videos. So that worked out nice. <laughs> that had to be done. He was the originator of that, by the way. The Acuna oh, Grand Slam. That, yeah. Uh, in, in the uh, 2018 Division Series? Yeah, that was me. That's awesome. That's, that's great work by you. I appreciate it. Do you get a ring? Yeah, I've uh, been fitted for it and everything. Oh, my God, that's so awesome. That's wild, isn't it? 
Um, I hope they, it's, they I hope it's email. like the size of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I know that I think Joe has seen it or seen a, a design of it and, and they've kept this whole thing secret from us. They, they, put, they sent out an email in December saying, you know, happy new year, have a you know, good Christmas, all that be paying attention because once we get on the backside of new year's, we're going to have a ring sizing party or, or whatever it is. Um, and sure enough, we got the email a few weeks later, pick one of these times to come in and get your, your ring size. So I go in and, and do all that. And they say, we're being ultra secretive. We're not showing you what it looks like. It'll be a surprise, which you know I don't care. It can be whatever they want it to be. I'm getting world series ring. That's all that matters. And I think Joe went and played some golf with some of our bosses and, you know, Joe is Joe. I mean, he's in the Braves Hall of Fame. So I think he got to see a, a quick peek of it. And he reached out to uh, Jay Chad and me, and he said, I can't tell you anything other than that they're absolutely enormous. <laughs> we, we were just rolling. He gave us no That's context. So That's so awesome. All the said. We, we knew exactly what he was talking about. And um, all I ever wanted growing up was to call big league games. So to, to have the opportunity to, to have a World Series ring is like nothing I ever imagined. So I, I can't wait to see that and have that day at the ballpark where we get to celebrate with everybody. I, I don't even know what the other to say. I mean, that's the best way to close it out. I mean, Ben, that is the most amazing uh, story there because I'm like, I can't wait to see this thing. I really hope that when we get, you know, an agreement in place that the Braves, I mean, they're so great with promotional deals anyway with bobbleheads and whatnot that maybe we can get a replica one. So I can, I can, I just want to get like a, a fake version of whatever ring you get. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that, that about seven, eight years ago, they did the, uh, the 95 replica ring. So, Hopefully, at some point, we can have a uh, a twenty twenty one replica ring night. I know everybody would love theirs. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, Jim Jim has one of the ninety five replicas, so I'm I'm very jealous. And and ninety one, I believe, is very cool. <laughs> very jealous. Um, but man, you've been more than generous with your time, and you know, really, just want to say thank Seriously. you so much for coming on and you know giving us insight into your life as a Braves lifer in general. I mean, um. You know, we really just can't wait to hear you on the radio for actual games instead of, you know, these interviews that we listen to on 680 and just coming on podcasts. But, you know, uh, we would love to catch up with you uh, down the road um, once, you know, maybe you're on an off day and we can be like, hey, so uh, we're making that push. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. I'm a friend of the show now, so we'll, we'll make that happen in the future. And um, love the work that you guys do and love anytime we get an opportunity to, to interact with really good baseball fans and brave fans and you guys do a tremendous job so thanks uh, as always for inviting me on your show all right guys well you know what that might be our walk-off we've talked about before you know we're gonna take an indefinite hiatus and you know who knows when we're gonna come back we're in the four five but you know what make sure you subscribe and leave a review Whatever platform you found us, Apple, SoundCloud, uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Sports Porchcast. It's always going to be active, even if our shows become very more, you know, even more sporadic or whatnot. But uh, definitely hit us up individually at Jim Scroggs, at ATL Crap Sandwich, and at Rico Whiskey. Everybody out there, be good to each other. Pay it forward. GATA.